Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing today? Uh, glad you guys are here. We're excited that you're all here today. Uh, next week is Easter, so I want to invite you guys to our Easter celebration at 9.30 or 11 here in Mason. And uh, it's going to be a great day of just celebrating who Christ is and what He's done in our lives. And uh, yesterday, we had a great Easter egg hunt. The Lord gave us just enough window where we could enjoy that without either, either being hammered by rain or blown away by the winds. And uh, we had said, let's get 5,000 eggs. The staff said, let's get 5,000 eggs. And uh, I think I mentioned in a, in a meeting, let, let's make it 10,000. They actually made it 12 or 13,000 by the end of the day. There were so many eggs that you guys had provided that kids, literally, they were finished. And I looked across the yard. There were still, what I could tell were just eggs everywhere. One kid ended up filling his baseball socks on both sides with Easter egg, as well as two bags. It was amazing and, and crazy all at the same time. And so uh, glad you guys helped with that. Thank you guys so much. And uh, we look forward to next weekend as well. I want to start today by simply asking you a question. When you look at the cross, what do you see? When you look at the cross, what do you see? And if you do take a look at the cross today, what does it mean to you? For some people, it just means an old, ancient relic. For some people, it means uh, a symbol of a religion. For some people, they think it's a piece of jewelry or a nice tattoo. Some people think it's in its historical context where it was a form of execution. And some people think that the cross is where they find life in Jesus and love from the Father. Well, what does it mean to you? What does the cross mean to you? What difference does the cross make in your life? And for the past few weeks, we've been doing a series called The Chosen, where we've really looked at how does the cross impact certain people in Jesus' life. And we've looked at some characters that really, honestly, a couple of them I had never even preached on in all these years. I'd never, ever preached a message on the thief on the cross, which we did two weeks ago. And today, we're going to look at the Roman centurion that was at the foot of the cross, Here's a guy who saw crosses every day of his life, but how did it impact him? Listen to Mark chapter 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, so three hours. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge filled with wine vinegar, but put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. And I want to give you some context of this story first, and then we're going to take a look at this guy and his heart, okay? The context is that we are in an area of the world called Judea. And the Romans, who had come from Rome, had overtaken much of the known world at that time. And they were ruling with an iron fist. And they came into an area called Judea, and, and Judea was a small area, relatively speaking. And the Romans sent a ruler there, a governor named Pilate. And Pilate was in charge of overseeing 
the Roman rule, that the Roman laws were carried out. But in that area, the Romans also allowed local leaders to continue to lead. And so uh, the Romans allowed the Jews to have a king named Herod. This king is more of what we would consider a puppet king, meaning as long as he followed the Roman laws and he kept his own people in check, then they were fine. He did, they just wanted him to make sure that his people paid their taxes. Roman laws were maintained by a governor named Pilate, and the Roman soldiers made sure those were carried out. And these soldiers were often ruthless. They were some who uh, were the ones who carried out the executions. They were the ones who did the crucifixion. They were experts in death. So there was always this tension between the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities. And that's the backdrop for the mock trial of Jesus and the crucifixion. The Jewish leaders were afraid of the influence of Jesus. They wanted him to be killed. So they brought him to Governor Pilate and basically said, this is your problem. You're the Roman leader. Take care of it. He basically said, oh, no, no. This is your problem. Uh, He's a Jew, just as you are. You need to take care of it. Go deal with it with your own king. King Herod said, no, no, no. I'm fat. I'm happy. I love my life, and I'm not going to deal with this. So he sent him back to Pilate. Pilate finally said, I think he's innocent, but you do what you want with him. And he sent off Jesus to be flogged and crucified. Now, you can imagine the tension in that moment between the Romans and the Jews. But then the Roman soldiers, led by a centurion, were then called upon to carry out the crucifixion of Jesus. A Roman centurion is one who's in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. This guy at the foot of the cross that we just read about was undoubtedly the one who was asked to carry out the orders to crucify Jesus. And here he was, day after day, executing criminals, executing criminals, carrying out punishments. Now, can you imagine how hardened this guy must have been? I mean, he had to do it every day of his life, and now we're seeing him just continue to do it day after day, brutal execution. I'm thinking his heart must have been very hardened, but something happened. In fact, his heart became more tender, and we're going to see that transformation. And what I want you to do just for a few moments is to put yourself in his shoes, and maybe you can learn in your own life how maybe God can work in your heart as well. Here's the first thing we see in the life of the centurion, and that is he's not in control. And maybe you're there too. You feel like, maybe I have some control in my life, but then something happens where you really realize you're not in control. This Roman centurion probably thought he was in control. I mean, he, he was, once Pilate gave him the orders, he could carry it out. He was able to control his men. He was able to control the situation. He, of course, he thought, Jesus is the weak one. I'm the strong one. Jesus can't save himself. I, I will put him to death. Jesus is not the powerful one. I'm the powerful one. But then something happened to begin to change his mind. Mark chapter 15, verse 33, said at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. This was not your ordinary eclipse. Something miraculous was happening. This Roman centurion who had carried out hundreds of executions is now seeing something happen different. But that's not the only thing that happened that was different. Matthew's account of this story tells us that when Jesus died, the earth shook, the rocks split open, and the tombs were open, and many dead people were raised up. 
this is not your typical execution. And he realizes in that moment something is happening that he's not in control of. Something's happening that's out of his control. We all have had those moments of realization. Anybody in this room ever realize that you're really not in as much control as you thought you were? Maybe you thought you had everything under control and then you realize you don't. I want to tell you for a few moments a story about someone that is very dear to me, but also to our church. And our, his family is very dear to our church because they attend here and they sit in the back, back here every weekend. And that is Jonathan, my brother, his wife, Julia, his children, and his uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law. And of course, we, are all, uh, we all attend church here. Uh, you know uh, Jonathan's story. It's been actually well-publicized. Uh, as a teenager, Jonathan got Hodgkin's disease, and back then they didn't know how to really handle cancer so well, and so they really threw the, the chemo kitchen sink at him, and they did everything they could, and he survived it. Not only did he survive it, he's gone on to be in the military, the Navy, gone on to lead his own law firm and uh, do very well at that with his family, and of course have four children. Uh, then, uh, after that, uh, not long ago, uh, he was diagnosed with a different type of cancer called uh, B-cell lymphoma, uh, Burkitt's disease, which is a very aggressive cancer. Uh, but you all followed that story over the last year as well. Uh, it was a very well-publicized story because uh, the cancer uh, responds well to aggressive treatment. And so um, they gave him heavy doses of chemo, and he was in the hospital five days at a time. And he determined during that time that he was going to walk the hallways. And one time when he was in the hallway there, he got up in the morning and said, I'm going to walk a marathon today. And he did, back and forth on a hospital hallway. Uh, it was well publicized because it was in the news, not just locally, but around the country. Jonathan's basic message was, all of us have marathons we have to walk in our life. Uh, mine just happens to be in the hallway, and it just happens to be with cancer. But we all have marathons that we have to walk every day. And he said, it's a marathon of purpose. It's a marathon of purpose. And what was his purpose? To represent Christ in the best way that he possibly could. To make sure that the message of Christ was shared with as many people as possible. To make a difference in this world. Well, he came through Burkett's uh, cancer uh, and came through that illness. Uh, just two weeks ago, uh, they had a CAT scan for Jonathan and something showed up on his pancreas. Uh, and that caused, of course, everyone concern. It came back uh, with a diagnosis this week, but on Monday, he had to go to the ER because the, um, the cancer and then the testing of that cancer caused uh, or pancreatitis, and that caused an inflammation of his pancreas, and so he's not processing food very well. He's not processing water very well, and so that's caused him to be in the, in the hospital this week. Uh, they then came up with a diagnosis in the middle of the week of pancreatic cancer. That's a difficult diagnosis. Uh, if you can have, it, uh, have surgery on it, then it increases your odds uh, significantly. And so uh, they're meeting with their surgeon on Monday, and they're going to be following up with him and seeing what the options are. And, uh, and then we'll go, we'll go from there. He asked me this week, he said, could you have the elders come and pray for me? Because James chapter 5 says, could you have the elders of the church come pray? Anoint the individual with oil and pray in faith, believing. And so we met in the lobby of the hospital there 
uh, myself and the overseers of Axis Church, and we just, I just said, guys, we're going to pray for Jonathan, but I want you to pray believing. Pray believing that he uh, will be healed and that uh, he will come through this well. And then secondarily, pray that he'll be able to have that surgery, and that'll provide additional help. And, and then, ultimately, guys, let's just be praying that God's will be done. When we got up to the room, Jonathan said the same thing, and he said, guys, believe, believe, believe that God will do what only God can do. And yet, if he does not do that, if he chooses something else, then we're going to use this as an opportunity to just share the love of Christ with people. We're going to use it as, pur- as purposeful, and, and, and we're going to use it as knowing that God can do great things. And so we prayed, and each of us prayed boldly that God would offer healing. But we also prayed that God would strengthen Jonathan, his legs, his arms, his body, so that he would be able to be a warrior through this process like before, so that he would be able to, be able to use his story in a way that would impact many, many lives. And the nurse that was there that day, as we walked down the hallway, I kept apologizing to nurses on the way down. <clears throat> We're sorry. We're just going to go pray. We're really not threatening. We go down and we <clears throat> go into his room. Jonathan said, we should have had two of the guys stand at the door as we walk in and just stand there as if they were guarding <clears throat> the room. We keep a relationship with, with, of course, me and with Jonathan and with his family. And so we're all praying that God's will will be done. And all of us come to that moment in our life like we are in this moment where we once again say, God, we realize that we're not in control of much. There's not much that we can do on this side of heaven. There's not much that we're in charge of. It's just that we're living our life day in and day out in a way that tries to honor God, that tries to make the most of every opportunity. We're here for a little while, and while we're here, we'll make the best of our life possible. Friends, please hear me. The cross of Jesus reminds us today that we are not in control, but God is. That's why we humble ourselves before the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The cross is not a piece of jewelry jewelry or a tattoo. It is the power of God unto salvation. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, The message of the cross is the power of God. So Christians everywhere, we experience the power and the wisdom of the cross to just say, God, I give up. I give up. My life is in your hands. You're in control. I'm not. My, my life, my time, my finances, my energy, it's no longer my own. The cross controls us. The cross of Jesus leads us. It guides us. And so I would just say, if you wear that cross, if you get that cross tattooed, if you see it on a church, on a steeple, you remember what it represents, the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ. The second thing that I think the centurion went through is that the cross of Jesus shows us that we're not outsiders. The centurion would have seen himself as an outsider, just like Pilate, right? Pilate was carrying out the rule, the laws of the Romans, but he was also trying to keep the peace with the Jews. And Pilate just washed his hands of Jesus Jesus was innocent, but he washed his hands of that situation. And the soldier would have felt the same way. This man is innocent, and yet I have to execute him. I'm an outsider of the situation, but I'll do my job. I just want to go home tonight. I just want to keep my distance from this. Keep him at arm's length. Just be an outsider. That's the way we like to live our lives sometimes. Anybody here go to Costco? 
you ever walk down the aisle and there's someone there, especially on a Saturday, and they have samples for you? Um, if you're a professional, never look in their eyes. It's like they'll turn you to stone and they'll cause you to uh, want to buy whatever they have. And um, how many of you have, uh, have picked up the stuff that they offer and ditch it an aisle later? You know, just admit it. You just didn't want to tell her that you couldn't do it. Or you see a street performer in the street on a city, and you love what they're doing. You want to see what they're doing, but you don't want to get too close, because if you get too close, then you have to contribute to them. They're going to ask you for something. And that's all of us. And there's the tension of the cross. We want to stay barely outside. We want to extract the benefits from He was crushed for our iniquities. His punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Jesus took our pain. Jesus took the pain of the rejected. He took the pain of the dismissed, of the disregarded. Here, that's how, that's how impressive this place was. And when Jesus died, the curtain tore in two. And what was happening, not just symbolically, but literally, Jesus was saying, now that my flesh is torn in two, there is now no separation between God and people. You get to know God on a personal level. Jesus became the outcast so that you could become the insider. He became one that was rejected so that you could be accepted. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, that means come on in through how the curtain that is now given uh, through his flesh. You see that? The curtain that he opened in the temple was not cloth. It was, it was representative of Jesus, that he opened the door for us. He provided a way for us. He said, you can come to, uh, to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So there's no option to just keep a healthy distance away from the cross. There's no option to just say, I want to say, if you have a loving dad, a loving father, when you blow it, you don't want to run away, you want to run to. You want to run into the open arms of your daddy saying, welcome in, welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. I love you so much. Run to your father. Today, you have an option to say, I want to be all in on the cross. And whatever you think you have to give up, realize the Bible says, yeah, there's some giving up, but there's a whole lot of getting. We get God, we get forgiveness, we get his grace, we get eternal life with him. And we get to realize that there is more to this life than just living this life. And so you can be not an outsider, but one who's in. And then the cross shows us that we are not hopeless. I don't know what kind of faith the centurion had before that moment, but I do know something changed. Verse 39 says, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. What does that mean? Jesus didn't swear people. He didn't spit back at those who were spitting at him. He didn't ridicule people. He, he didn't um, blame people. Then the man said, surely this was the Son of God. He came to the awesome realization that Jesus is like no other. Life hit and things out of our control happen and it feels like we are being tossed and turned. We have an anchor for our soul. That anchor is Jesus. Because of the cross of Jesus, we have hope. 
We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It's what gets us through hard times. We live by faith and not by sight. We live, all of us. We die, all of us. What matters is what happens in between. And will we trust Jesus Christ with our hope, our life, our faith? And some of you feel like today it's going to cost you something. But friends, it is so, so worth it. Today, in just a few minutes, we're going to watch a baptism. And, uh, and we're going to be just thrilled about what God is doing um, in the life of somebody who's recently uh, kind of uh, come into relationship with our church and a lot of her families here today. And I love the reality of that. No matter if you have a $1,000 outfit, you're going to change that outfit and put on some dark shorts and a t-shirt. It's going to be a great equalizer. You might have a $150 hairdo, but trust me, when you come out of the water, that hairdo's in real trouble. And, um, and uh, that's what happens because it's a great equalizer. We all come in that moment humbly. We're just saying, God, we come to the foot of the cross. I want to come before you humbly. You died for me. You gave up yourself. So in the water of baptism, I want to be buried to my old way of life. And I want to be raised to new life. I want to become a follower of yours. I, I, want, to, I want to fall into your arms because I need you. We all need God. We all do. Whether or not you've been a believer for just a couple months or several years, boy, you realize the longer you go in this thing, the more you need Christ and less that you're in control of things. You ever seen those stories where somebody's in a, a building, a burning building, it's maybe 10 stories high and it's burning, the smoke is billowing out and somebody's at a window up there and, and, and down below there is the fireman and they have a little trampoline and they're yelling up, just, just jump, just jump. And at first, what would your reaction be? I am not jumping out of this window. There is no way, no how, not going to happen. That trampoline is not big enough. And, um, and I don't, they say, listen, we've saved many people when they jump. Just jump. They say, no, I can't do it. I can't jump. I don't trust. But then the smoke keeps billowing out, and the building is being burned down, and the room begins to crash in, and you find yourself leaping out of that window. And when you get to the bottom, all the firemen catch you safely, and they, they wrap you up, and they take you off to the ambulance, and, and, and they've rescued you. But it does take faith. It does take trust. And can I just say that the trampoline of safety and salvation that the Lord offers is not just a small little fireman trampoline. The Bible says that he really has the whole world in his hands. That, that, that God offers salvation to everyone who will ever come. And that, that trampoline is big enough to handle it. Whoever so will may come, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever, will not perish, but will have life, everlasting life. So today we are people that even in the midst of um, maybe insecurity at times, maybe questions, maybe doubt, maybe fear, maybe sadness, we are people that trust that God is trustworthy. He's totally reliable. And I can say that as somebody who has had family members who've passed from this life to the next. And as my mom says, um, they're just changing addresses. They're just moving. And so one day we know that we will see them again. And so, God, today, we live in the promise, the reality of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And God, today, we, ought, we pray for strength for the day, 
The old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, said, And then tomorrow we'll start it all over again, God. Strength for today, hope for tomorrow. Strength for the day, hope for tomorrow. And God, we know that you will give us the strength that we need every day. And that you'll continue to give us that hope for tomorrow, knowing that when we are in you, when we are in Christ, 